welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. We're back with you this week on what I thought on Sunday night was going to be a quiet week in the world of rugby league. But no, the NRL never lets us down. And I'm joined once again by my co-host with the most, a man who this week, last, actually last week now, said to me, despite the lockdown, he was going to a party in Shoalhaven to uh, support one of his mate's birthdays. G. How are you going, T? I also got personalised number plates for the for the occasion. Well, apparently the only way the police found out you were at the party was that you left your wallet behind. Apparently so. And your feet were sticking out from under the bed. <laughs> and they came in. I didn't quite fit underneath the, key, the single we're gonna bed. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We're gonna, oh, actually, I've, I've got, I want to make that point about Jack DeMellon too. So we'll, we'll get there. So shall we start off, <laughs> we start off with the round of 16 news? So the whole Paul Vaughan thing's absolutely overshadowed everything. And no other sport in the world does this. It keeps on giving. It is better than days of our lives. But let's start with let's start with Kurt Capewell signing for the Broncos, which feels like an eternity ago, but was only a week <laughs> it ago. Does. Yes, and and of course Matt Lodge to the Warriors. Now the reason why I raise this is the Kurt Capewell signing I get for the Bronx. What on earth are the Warriors thinking with their recruitment? So Matt Lodge, the reason why the Broncos are getting rid of him is because he's this big lumbering forward, and the game's moved on, and it's now a lot quicker, and he's not mobile enough. So between Matt Lodge and Chad Townsend, who had an absolute stinker on the weekend, what is going on with the Warriors' recruitment? Not sure, to be honest. I mean, if I look at their team, they've got a lot of front rowers. I don't know if they necessarily need another one. It was an interesting signing. I didn't think they needed it. I think they need more mobility in their pack. And also Kurt Capewell. I like Kurt Capewell. And I understand the signing from a professionalism aspect. So I think that's in terms of a leadership role, makes sense. But don't they have athletic back rowers coming out of their ear holes? Like... I'm glad you said he uh... Yeah, so from that perspective, I don't get it. But from the professionalism side, I do. I think they need a spine. I mean, rather than concentrate... It'd be like the Bulldogs, you know, just keep looking for second rollers. I mean, they need they need a spine. They need a fullback and, and someone else to partner Adam Reynolds in the halves next year and a hooker. I guess he just adds an experienced player that's played in the big games now and has the right attitude. So, And t- tell me why they haven't signed Matt Dufty. No one wants him. It looks like he's going to go to the Super League. Why haven't why haven't the Broncos signed Matt Dufty? I don't know because what he does is at a minimum he gives them um, great depth in their back line. So they have a fullback, then they have you know Asako or Tessie New on the wings. They have Farnworth on the wing. They have Stags. They have um, you know they can mix and match their back line and make it quite potent. I'm not sure Katoni Stags is a five eight either. Just quietly, he's a great center when you get him in space. To move him into five eight would be a mistake. Well, I think that's the plan for next year. Of course, there's been a big kerfuffle around the um, the rules again this week. This was <laughs> yes. the, this this last weekend was the second highest winning margin in the history of the rugby league in Australia, two hundred and fourteen points. Twenty five percent of them were from one game, but yeah, continue. Yes, we will. We will. We, we've got a fun build <laughs> show this will. week. Yes. We've got a fun build show this week. I think it's the fact that the interchange went down a couple of years ago. The six agains. There's no offside for 10 metres anymore coming out of your own end. And six again. The problem is momentum. You don't get the ball back because what we've done is we've gotten rid of the contest for the ball. Now, I watched the women's state of origin 
a few weeks ago and without the game was much better without the six again rule. What's happened is essentially they've removed any competition for the ball. So you can't, unless you drop it... Which is why completion rate's so important. Whereas it's all compounding now, basically. I think with the new rules, those other rules that they had where all of a sudden you get a set restart or you get a seventh tackle set, have all merged to make momentum almost unstoppable. But gee, instead of six again, wasn't the answer here to go down to six interchanges? Wasn't that the answer? I mean, rather than all these tweaks and differences and mid-season and... I just think they're overcomplicating it. That may be from a health perspective. They didn't want to do that, which I get. But the six again rule, what it does is it basically magnifies the gap between the teams that are good and the teams that aren't very good. Before you could grind out, hang in. Correct, correct. The grind's gone. Christian Welsh was on Twitter and he answered, what's the difference between Volandi's ball and the rugby league that he grew up with? And he said, the grind's gone out of the game. It's just end to end. And he said, it's even for Melbourne. He goes, once the other team has got momentum and you kick off back to them and they come back and they score again or they pin you down or drop out at the end of it and you get, it, you get it back and all that sort of stuff. He goes, the grind's gone out of the game. So you can't keep the game tight. You can't get the momentum back. That's the key comment. You can't keep the game tight, right? So Christian Welsh in his probably three games that he's experienced that in in the last two years where it's been close... You can't keep it close. So these teams that are limited or the coaches that really don't have an open mind to try and adjust their games, they're trying to keep it close. But the thing is, it doesn't work under the new rules. They need to reinvent the way they look at the game too, and they haven't done that. So the the gap between the good teams and the bad teams has just become, uh, it's become huge. It really has. It's almost unwatchable. I hate to say it, but yes. I mean, and and, and we're huge fans of the rugby league, but, but the three best games this year, without any shadow of a doubt was Melbourne-Penrith, Penrith-Para, and Para-Penrith. But in what other season can you boil the season down to three or four games in round 16 and go, they were the three, just off the top of your head, go bang. So remember we used to say that was the difference between rugby league and rugby union? Rugby yes. union played at its best was magic to watch, but yes. the problem was out of every 10 games, only you one of them one was like one. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And rugby league, at least with 10 games, you knew seven of them would be good. That's not the case Or this even season. five. Or five. It's not the case anymore. There's so many games this year where... My notes are almost repetitive. You know, Souths went through a training run. Same thing against the, the Tigers. Would I say, you know, and they beat the Tigers easily when Souths played the Bulldogs. Same thing. It, they ended up winning by 40, but it, it was like not, a training Not as run. easily as Manly went through the Bulldogs. The NRL issued 75K in COVID fines. Uh, 50Ks, 50K to the Dogs players were still in self-isolation. Um, and 25K on their own to Josh Dugan. Yes, Josh Dugan. I mean, you know, was it Albert Einstein that said, keep on doing the same thing you've always done and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity? Josh, it's the same players. Dylan Napa, Josh Dugan, Corey Norman. We're going to get to it. Josh Dugan strikes me as an intriguing person, is what I'll say. He does some dumb stuff, but... By all accounts, he does a lot of good stuff too. He does a lot of charity work and that sort of stuff. I've heard he's very introverted and he doesn't really like the spotlight, so... Like you. Of course, totally. So, So I wonder how much of it is he just hates all the attention and stuff, but then he tries to just do his own thing. It doesn't quite fit. Um, but the best contract breaking activity was him sitting on top of the roof drinking drinking beers. Yeah, it was just brilliant. The Raiders warned him about not doing it. Then he gets up on the roof and drinks beers. You mean like yeah. Anthony Griffin telling his players to go home and have a quiet brilliant. night? Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Yes. So what I thought would be our funny story this week um, actually paled in comparison. Kenny Edwards. Yes. 
Yes, you get the Kenny I Edwards remember story? Kenny Edwards. No, I did it, but I remember oh, Kenny okay. Edwards. Once again, you're following it. So Kenny Edwards. He's in England. Uh, Crazy he Kenny is, Edwards. He is. It's a Super League story. Kenny Edwards has been cited by the Super League for uh, an act on Sam Cassiano that can only be described as John Hopawati-like. During a game? No, after the game. Of course, during the game. We're <laughs> in the car park. We're, of course, during the game. Hey, this is Kenny Edwards. I used to watch him playing for Para. He, he's... They don't call him Crazy Kenny for nothing. Mate, mate, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Kenny. Oh, Kenny Edwards. Why am I not surprised it's Kenny? <laughs> I'm surprised. God. You said the size of Sam Cassiano, although he's lost a little bit of weight. I'm surprised he didn't lose his whole arm. Oh, yeah. I. What are they thinking, G? As someone who did a lot of research into John Hopawati and the finger antics... Well, I had to. Terry Lamb was the coach of the Tigers at the time. He was. He was the coach. One of the best players of all time. Yeah, of course. You had to support him. Of course. What do you think goes through a player's head? I mean, if you're if you're in the middle of the street and you see someone lying in a tackle, they're playing a game of touch footy, and and their bums in the air, what goes through your mind where you go, okay, well, a bit of an opportunity for the wrestle, slow the play, the ball down, um, but that's about it. I don't think I'm thinking about. I don't understand the motivation. It's Kenny Edwards. Is all I can say. My para supporting friend who wasn't you used to say he was crazy when you start watching him closely. I have to agree, so I'm not surprised it's him. Okay, so, and that brings us to the greatest news story in the history of Rugby League this year, the Dragon story. Now, let's walk through this, G. Good win against the Warriors, although the Warriors completely threw the game away. After the game, Anthony Griffin celebrates with the boys and says, all right, we've got a week off. Go home and celebrate quietly. Don't do anything stupid. So a man with a lot of form on the board who quietly got fined for sexting early earlier this year that only came to light in the last couple of days decided to throw a party, which at first looked like it had no one there, five there, eight there, and then 13 there. Now, the rumours were that there was a biosecurity breach. Is that right? I read that there wasn't. A biosecurity breach. So it's confirmed that it was just the players. There was a rumour that there was a biosecurity breach. But then what happened, as I understand it, allegedly? The police, there was a complaint by a neighbour. The police came. They couldn't find any players. Or there were some players they found hiding in the cupboards, in the in the, in, in the clothes cupboard. There was some feet sticking out from underneath a bed that they didn't spot. But then they go, this wallet is oddly placed in the backyard. And when they opened it up, they saw a license that belonged to someone who they hadn't caught in the house. Let's just call him C. Norman, (laughs) which matched the number plates, the personalised number plates that were parked out the front of the house. And then Mark Piggy Riddell comes out and says, oh, well, he lives across the road. This is what I saw. Long and the short of it is this all came out over the course of a few days. Paul Vaughan ended up being sacked. He had a very remorseful apology that he issued, 800 grand a year. I'm blown away by the fact that initially Corey Norman goes, I wasn't there, except for his wallet and the person was. Well, the article I read actually said, according to um, police work, they deduced that the car in front belonged to Corey Norman. Hardcore deduction. Yeah, huge huge investigation. What about Jack DeBellin going, I wasn't there? Four weeks after he's come back from the well-publicised court case, and then the Dragons have to walk him to the police office or the police station to give a confession and it comes out that he was hiding under the bed now how big is paul vaughan's bed that jack debellin can fit under it that's actually a good question jack debellin is a big guy yes big unit like is paul vaughan is it a bunk bed 
I don't know. It's got some clearance from the floor. I'll tell you that for Jack DeBellin to fit under and, there. And Corey Norman, just was the story that he was walking his dog at 11.30 at night with his personalised number plate out the front of the house and his wallet in the house? And also, I do like the story about Matt Dufty was waiting at the front before the police came. Then he took off and ran home. <laughs> Five kilometres ran home. No other sport does this. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> what about Paul Vaughan allegedly getting them all on a Zoom call to get their story straight? <laughs> no. The whole thing... I should have been laughing. Do we really believe, do we really believe that there was only the players there? I do. I do. Do you? I think the NRL would have absolutely annihilated them if they if it wasn't just the players. Well, they've got all the players have got suspended, right? And Paul Vaughan copped eight weeks and had his contract torn up by the the Dragons. When this first came out, I felt a little bit sorry for the Dragons if it was the players only because they're already in a bubble. Well, this is what I was going to say. If it's the players only, is what they did ultra stupid? Yes, but if they're able to sit there in the same dressing room and shake each other's hands and sweat on each other, if they're having a get together at home. I think. I think they need to get a warning or at least a minor fine because they breached sort of COVID protocols. Paul Vaughan, I get it's the second protocol breach in two years, and he had the warning earlier from sexting. So he clearly doesn't learn. But you know what, T? Like, like you say, if they're already in a bubble, their breach is not as serious as not as serious as some of the others. But I still think they should have got a fine for breaching public health guidelines, and they did go against the clubs. Um, guidance. So again, you know, they can get reprimanded. But to, to have a guy lose a million dollars for that? If Paul Vaughan's on the market, there is no way that the Tigers don't pick him up or the Bulldogs. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, he's absolutely going to play for one of those teams next year. He's, he's absolutely going to get picked up. Can we just... Uh, there is a shortage of good props in the comp at the moment. Yes, but it's a disproportionate response. So in a way, I sort of... I do feel for the players a little bit. They're in a bubble. They've got all these protocols on top of whatever the. I mean, you were at the party. Are. You were at the party. Was there anyone else other than the players there? No, just me. So I just I ran you. back home. Yeah. Yeah, correct. I ran the hundred kilometers back home. It might be a touch more. It's a good. It's a good journey. I have to go that. back and pick up my body that collapsed on the road. <laughs> I've seen you run hundred meters. I don't know how you did hundred kilometers. Um, but. Look, it's it's kind of funny how it all played out in a way. It's actually hilarious. It's like a comedy skit. It is like a comedy skit. It's like full frontal from the old days. Fast forward. Don't have a party. Okay, let's have a party back at my house. And then on top of that, if you're going to have the party tea, right, and you know that there's kind of a lockdown, why would you be really noisy? (laughs) That's the other thing. Well, Mark, Mark Riddell came out and said they weren't noisy at all because he lives across the road. And he posted it on social media. And he's... I mean, it added absolutely nothing to the story. But what kind of a man hides under a bed and in a cupboard? <laughs> Just, I don't know. I do Hey, listen, I'm thinking of getting some built-in wardrobes. So, Paul Vaughan, if you're listening, please send the number for the person that put the cupboards in your house because if the players can fit in there, that's the but type of story. How big is this built-in? And, and the other thing is, and, and what an ingenious hiding place it was when the police opened the built-in. And there was six players just hiding in the built-in wardrobe. I think the reaction has been a massive overreaction. And I think I'm disappointed that the NRL has actually behaved in a manner similar to the old NRL, where according to the media blow-up, they've reacted to 
the media blow up rather than saying, look, they're already in a bubble. They breach public health guidelines. So I agree with you on one point. I disagree on another, and I'll tell you why. Because they are negotiating with all these state governments to get these games going. Don't think those negotiations aren't going on. And when you have, unfortunately, when you have Comedy Central on the front and back pages of players, you're saying you need to trust us, we'll take care of it, we'll, we'll do the right thing, it erodes the government's confidence to give them an exemption. Look, fair that's enough. Where they're com- that's where they're coming from. It's not the act itself, because I agree with you. If they did their investigation and it was only the players, then it's yep. a massive overreaction. If it wasn't the players, then I think, I, think it's, I think it's proportionate. As for the government, how about they all pull their finger out and sort out the immunisation stuff for the country? Can I just say, can I just say, just, just, just hear me out on this. If mm. you've got 25 million people, yeah, yeah, and you know one of the vaccines gives a better result than the other one, yes, and you know they need two doses, yeah, yes, and you want to get everyone vaccinated in six, 12 months, whatever the period of time, yep, is, wouldn't you at a minimum order 50 million? If you did basic maths at school, yes, probably. How much analysis do you think went into the. De- <laughs> I have nothing to say. I really don't. What am I missing on how hard this was to get organized? It's the laconic, you know, stereotypical Australian character from the 70s that kind of, she'll be right. It's Paul Hogan. Crocodile Dundee was in charge of the vaccination. He's basically, that's what's happened. What about Joey's jumping the queue? 160 students, 18-year-olds jumping the queue. Of course, it's Joey's. Did you, have you, have you followed anything to do with Sydney and rugby league over the last few days? <laughs> Other, or have you just been reading wall-to-wall Paul Vaughan coverage? I, I think probably Paul Vaughan coverage, checking out the dimensions of his cupboard. So <laughs> I, I want to know how far his bed is off the ground for Jack DeBellin to be undetected under that bed. What, what did Paul Vaughan say to the police? It looks like someone's under your bed. No, they're my shoes. But they look like there's legs attached. But even then, right, if your clearance is that high that Jack DeBellin can hide under it, if you're the police, wouldn't you be able to see directly under the bed and see Jack DeBellin there anyway? <laughs> because the clearance would have to be like a metre and a half off the ground for it to fit under there. So it's like, you know, it's like a, a four-year-old when you're playing hide-and-seek with kids and they hide and it's so obvious where they there's are. There's a big bulge in the yeah, bed with the blankets over the top the of Jack DeBellin. Like, I'm hiding. Yeah. Who's that? That's, that's Matt Dufty. He's asleep. He's my roommate. He ran away. Corey, were you at the party? No, bro, I was at home, sleeping. Where's your car, Corey? Oh, has it been stolen? Where's your wallet? It's been stolen by Paul Vaughan. It's been stolen by Paul Vaughan. Where's your wallet? Oh, I think it was in the car. The the players do some stupid things, but I also, I do sympathise with them a little bit. They've been in a really strong bubble for a year and a half, two years. You know what, for ordinary people, it gets mentally tough. You know, and I think for them, it'd be pretty hard as well. Fair enough. All right, well, let's move on. That was, that was, oh, who knows what this week of rugby league is going to bring. There's always a <laughs> hey, drama I'm every week. I'm not saying who anything, knows? After this week, who knows? So let's, let's move on to round 16. First up was the Roosters Storm. We predicted a very tight game and it proved that way. Yeah, it did for the first 10 minutes. 46 nil after our two. The Roosters' execution in both defence and attack was poor. They just didn't show up, the Roosters. Um particularly in the first half, you know, and, and the conditions weren't great. In attack, they dropped the ball, and kicks and last tackle execution was poor. In defence, they struggled to slow the Storm play of the ball, and the Storm attack was just brilliant with three long-range tries. In fact, in the first half, the Roosters had field 55% field position and more tackles in the opposition 20 versus Melbourne. So all Melbourne's, most of Melbourne's tries this during this game came from midfield. So they were, they were spreading the ball wide from midfield, 
and really catching the Roosters' defence out because they were attacking from deeper. The, the first try was first tackle after a kick went dead. Um, Nico Hines then recovered a kick and went 60 metres, and the last try in the first half was when, when Olam showed more desire on a loose ball. It was 30-0 at half-time. The storm, the storm went on with it in the second half, running in three more tries, eight tries to nil in the end, including Josh Adokar's third try. The Roosters' defence midfield, as I mentioned, was poor. Storm did spread it from further out, disrupting the defensive structures. Again in the second half, the Roosters had 18 tackles in the opposition 20 versus 11. So all the tries came long-range midfield, right? Lachlan Lamb was really poor. It's the second or third game in a row where he was terrible. The, the Storm targeted Sam Walker with a couple of late hits on his shoulder. He bounced back, but Lachlan Lamb was really disappointing. I thought Cam Munster was much better than Origin, and I thought Dale Finucane and Kenny Bromwich were great for the Storm. But I do want to ask you a question. I know he got players player during Origin, but has Teddy been playing that well this year? I think at times he has. There's been a few games where we spoke about earlier in the year where where the Roosters sort of needed an injection, all of a sudden got himself involved in everything and taken over the game. So I think there's been games where he's been brilliant, others where he's been good, but there's been a couple where he hasn't really been effective. He's still a great player, but is he past his peak? I guess is the... Oh, let me reframe the question. Is he past his peak? Oh, I think he is. I think he's I think he's up there, but when he plays his best, I think he's still dynamic. Because I, I think Tommy Turbo is the best fullback in the game, yeah. And I said I said it ages ago, he's the best all-round fullback because he's, he's the one that's excellent at everything, if that makes sense. It's just he's injury-prone. And he's been missing. He's he's kind of got the athleticism, but also got the skill and the speed. Whereas others have got the skill, not quite the speed, like a gutho. Yeah. Tough, smart, great. <laughs> Just jump. Never, on the never work with animals and children. That's what they say. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, sorry, sorry about that interruption. G's cat was very unhappy with his opinion and knocked over his mic and his. And his laptop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I think, um, you know, say like Gutho, he's, if he had pace, he'd be up there. But he's missing, everyone's missing some small element. Whereas Tom, Tommy T is kind of, is really good at everything. Look, I think he's still really effective. But I think against the really good teams where they've got speed and they're really solid defensively, I think he struggles a bit more now to make, have an impact. But it's not as easy for him to tear apart a game against a Melbourne or a Penrith. As for, for this game, to be honest, I just... I don't know if the Roosters were poor. I think they showed up for a while. I think up to, you know, with 20 minutes to go, it was 20 minutes to go in the first half, it was 8-0. Um, I think, like you say, the early kick to Adokar threw out the Roosters' defensive patterns, you know, and he watched for his speed. And then it was almost like... But they wouldn't have been in that position if Lachlan Lamb hadn't kicked the ball dead. Look, that's true. I think he's struggling because, you know, it's really... He's, he hasn't played that many games. Well, you asked me a few weeks ago, was Lachlan Lamb the better half than Sam Walker? The answer is absolutely not. I think what you saw was the Storm are almost unbeatable. Oh, they good. have no weakness at all anywhere on the field. To even it up, I think Paul Vaughan should throw a players party for them. With 20 minutes to go in the first half, and then it was 30-0 at half time, And the Roosters' defence, I don't know if it was that bad at the beginning, but once... Melbourne put a couple of tries on, they started to fall off tackles and some of the desire left. Whether that's a belief to think that they could get back in the game, I don't know. But I found the Roosters dropped their intensity a little bit and Melbourne took full advantage. Well, the Roosters um, the Roosters pride themselves on goal line defence. The Roosters had the better field position. Don't don't get me wrong. They, they tried to play this conservative style. The problem is their defensive structures, they needed to defend like they were on their own line in the middle of the park. 
between that 40 meter mark of both both halves, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of the tries came from for the Melbourne Storm. They were stretching the Roosters' defensive structures. It just goes to show what a master tactician Craig Bellamy is. They look, they they're magic. They and they have a weapon in Adokar that almost no one has in the competition. Like his acceleration is incredible. They they try things that they never really used to do 5 6 years ago to try to throw out the defense. So he's an incredible weapon, Adokar, and he was phenomenal. But Kenny Bromwich was great. He's one of my unsung heroes in the competition. Munster was okay. I thought Jerome Hughes again had a, a he, great he's game. one of the form halves, right? He is. The final thing I have is I don't think Ryan Pappenhuysen gets back in that team now. Oh, no. He gets back in the team, sure. You think so? You think? I think Nico. I think they're going to keep Nico Hines there. Because no, if only for the fact that he's leaving next year. I mean, I, I don't. I think Pappenhausen. He'll get. He'll get first crack at it. I reckon he'll get first crack at it. And because he hasn't been there for a few. I mean, how bad was that hit? Seriously, he's been out for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was a bad hit. But I just found. I find Nico Hines is just expanding his game. He's popping up on both sides of the field. Is this because you've got a crush on him? Oh, he looks like a guy that's. He's just cool, calm, collected. Goes for a surf, chills out. You love you know, him. I, I like him. He's he's smooth. He's a smooth player. Smooth. Okay, excellent. All right, well, we'll get more hairstyling tips from G next week, but um, let's move on to the Warriors versus Saints. The Saints won this 19-18. The Warriors completely choked. They were leading 18-6 with 10 minutes to go, and, and they blew it. The, the Saints did actually start better of the two teams and were up 6-0 after 30 minutes, but should have been up by more. That They were the dominant team in the first 30, but... But then we're completely outplayed by the Warriors for the next 40 minutes, including two tries in the last 10 minutes of the first half to lead 12-6 at halftime. Um, Chad Townsend had a debut to forget. Um, I don't get the recruitment at all. He injured his shoulder and had, he had one of the worst 10 minutes at the end of the game I've seen. I mean, the Warriors were leading 18-10 with seven minutes to go. Uh, and in Saints red zone, he attempted a field goal, which I don't know why when you were up by eight points. He came out afterwards and said, I thought I was leading by six. It's good that he can read the scoreboard. So if, you, if, you, if your halfback doesn't have the eyesight to see the scoreboard, uh, why have you recruited him? Surely that's a pregame test that you would have done. Well, I can interject there and say the great Terry Lamb, and he was yes, like, he was amazing yes, Terry, great. in the 80s. Kicked the, yes, kicked the field goal to put him down by one. And one point, that's right. I remember that. Because he um, thought they won the game and correct. all his teammates were like, what the fuck are you with, doing? With all due respect, with all due respect. So Chad Townsend gets a pass. No, I, he doesn't get a pass from me. And the other reason is the field goal didn't make it above the ground. At least Terry Lamb <laughs> nailed his field goal. <laughs> okay, it was terrible. Enough. But more importantly, why didn't you kick into touch to try and get another seven tackle, to get another get the ball back? I mean, that's what we're saying about momentum. Recruited an experienced halfback to ice the game. Like The last 10 minutes were a shocker. He gave Saints seven tackle set from which they scored. Jack Bird got the try after RTS and Kosi um, stuffed up trying to kick the grubber out. So they were choking the Warriors. <laughs> yes, it? they did. And, and then with the Townsend injury, on the last play of the game, the Warriors' right edge tried to compensate by compressing right in so Chad Townsend didn't have to make a tackle and get isolated. But the problem was, by doing that, they left all this space on the outside and they just went around them and scored. And and it was 18-all. The game went too into e extra time, golden point. Too easy, right, that last try? Way too easy. Well, it was because they were trying to compensate for Chad I Townsend. Know. Yeah, so in golden point, Wade Egan and RTS made errors. Otherwise, RTS had a brilliant game, but, but his errors were costly during the game. Uh, and eventually resulted in Corey Norman potting the field goal. 
Um, he was otherwise very poor in this game, Corey Norman. RTS was great, but the errors were costly. Townsend was terrible, and I thought Ben Hunt had a great game. Of course, this game was completely overshadowed by what we spoke about earlier in the Paul Vaughan party afterwards to celebrate. Well, they'll cele- at least they celebrated a victory. I-, I just thought this game was quite average. Didn't think Dufty was involved enough in the first half when Saints had a lot of the possession to really kind of ram home that advantage. I thought their set plays were kind of laboured almost methodical and they just didn't have that penetration to like take advantage of their field position so they really like you say should have been up a lot further and they weren't um and i think it's just reflected the game reflected their positions on the table for both teams and then i thought once the warriors came into the game the dragons began to tie up they went up 18-6 with nine minutes to go i mean you can't lose from that position it's not like the dragons played brilliant football to get back cossy the winger he had a shocker 10 minutes terrible i mean they just completely choked it right they lost their um composure totally the warriors and the dragons sort of pinned them back because they had nothing to lose i thought like you ben hunt had a really good game both sides kind of tried and you know they, they there was some desperation in defense at times and at the end of the game i thought you know waste time or do something and then at least com- stack the right-hand side, which is the only place where the Dragons could have gone, and they really left Chad Townsend exposed. And the Dragons had the numbers and scored with zero seconds left on the clock. I read that as Chad Townsend leaving Chad Townsend exposed. I mean, it was terrible. There's a reason why Chad Townsend was playing reserve grade for Cronulla. He just hasn't been in good form this year. This year. Poor Cowboys. If they think he's the solution, they're going to end up with Scott Drinkwater and Tom Dearden's going to be their halfbacks. I think Chad Townsend usually composed a veteran presence, guides the team around the field, but this year he has been a little bit off. But let's give the Dragons' defence some credit right at the end there where they smashed RTS and dragged him back into the in goal to actually get that dropout to score from. That was a massive play in the game. So it obviously, was. The Dragons gave themselves the opportunity and then took it. It's almost like they were pushing him under the bed, wasn't it? They were from something. (laughs) The police were, and and the other thing is extra time. The Warriors did everything but give the Dragons the win. If they could have scored a try themselves, like the the Warriors just completely lost there. The Dragons won the game. Don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks with multiple suspensions having to be staged over numerous. Well, at least they got the bye this week, right? So they won't. They it's it's next week that the suspensions start. So, but Ben Hunt, I thought probably the best player in the game. I think. Yeah, I thought so too. So, okay, well, we'll move on to the, the match of the round, I think. I think it'd be fair to say this was the match of the round. Uh, the Panthers versus the Eels. Uh, a tight, tense affair in which goalkeeping proved the difference. The Panthers led 6-4 at halftime after Mike Acevo scored a great try showing his strength uh, and getting back up to put the ball over the line. Um, and Tyrone May got one for the, for the Panthers. Um, and then Isaiah Papali scored a great try straight after the break before a- Api Corosau scored a great try of his own. And, and Mitch Moses leveled from a penalty. So it was it was 12-all with 24 to go. It stayed that way until two minutes to go when Matt Burton added the extra point for, to give the Panthers the win. But the Eels did have a chance to win it because the Eels did get a penalty from the short kickoff when Liam Martin was alleged to have obstructed Wonga Blake. Can I say as a Parramatta supporter, it wasn't a penalty? I thought Liam Martin didn't divert enough from his line for it to be a penalty so interesting i thought it was did you Quite yeah clearly okay. yeah yeah I, did. I didn't think so i didn't think it was so um i think he did a good enough job of masking it if you know what i mean <laughs> okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah so but mitch moses missed a really kickable goal for him for him yes it was kickable it's a kickable goal and and i worry about mitch moses under pressure i don't th- i know he's a bit of a flat track bully so if you're winning by 20 he's he can make the score 40 or 50 but 
when the pressure's on, there's too many examples of him. You know, I don't want to hammer him so much for the goal kick, but it's a pattern of behavior, right? When the game's on the line, he comes up short a little bit. So I just I just wonder if he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. Can I also say Tyrone May was poor at halfback? Um, Ivan Cleary switched them, switched Matt Burton to the left edge before kickoff. And, and Luai got a got a knee injury in MCL, which is which is um, ruled him out of state of origin. And Appy Corosau was superb for them, though. I thought Appy Corosau was fantastic for for the Panthers. I actually think Appy Corosau is the best hooker in the game at the moment. Probably, I think I think there's a few that are all about. I wouldn't say there's one dominant hooker anymore. Well, I don't think Harry Grant's been playing as well, and Brandon Brandon Smith and he play that second rower type role as well and I don't think Damien Cook's been playing well for a season and a half now the only other one was Reed Marnie Reed Marnie and the Braley yeah. the Braley twins are yeah. quite good as well so there's like five or six that are all around the same yeah but Appy Corosau he almost plays the Cam Smith role if the halfbacks if the organizers aren't working he can jump into dummy half and do it from dummy half yeah so for the Eels, I thought Sean Lane really struggled. He dropped a lot of ball. But Isaiah Papali was superb. He's been the buy of the season by far. Can I just say I'm not too disappointed. I thought we were the better team. I know we lost, but I think we can take a lot of heart from that result and that game. I thought the Eels were gallant, and I thought the Panthers were gritty. I thought the Eels had a lot of field position. They put themselves in a position to win the game. Their defense was really good. But my takeaway from this is the Eels struggle to score points against the good teams. And they really need to do something different. So here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Because because those three games that I said objectively were the best games of the season, mm. they were all low-scoring games. It's just harder to score against the good teams. It is. Their defense is fantastic, but... When the Melbourne, Panthers and Para play each other, you don't. it's not like playing the Bulldogs in Brisbane. No, it's not. But I do think that Para go into their shell a little bit more against those sides, whereas... It was wet and windy. Oh, I don't know. I think you're being a bit harsh on the Parramatta attack. Their key ingredient they're missing is real pace, and they've got to play... I agree with that. I agree with that. Because if you look at Melbourne and Penrith, what makes them dynamic is, apart from their athleticism, is they've got speed everywhere across the field. Para doesn't really. And their main playmaker, who's Gutherson, who's an amazing player... He chimes in and it creates for others, but he also isn't that fast. They need to challenge the line a bit more and play a bit more direct at times. We've only scored 21 less points than the Panthers across 16 games. Yeah, I think when Para is open against some of these crappier teams, they can blow them away with their skill. But against the good teams, I do think they tighten the game a little bit. Having said that, and I think without a couple of lapses in defense through just exhaustion, which I think is what happened, where May just went through a, a sloppy tackle, and also Coruscant just went through tired and lazy defense, Para kind of wins that game. The Panthers struggle to score against them, and Tyrone May really hampers their attack. He's too slow. Well, some, some of the people online were saying, I don't know what photos of Ivan Cleary Tyrone May's got, but they must be good for him to keep getting picked. He's a skillful player and he's got vision. The problem is he's more a utility off the bench where you can plug him in where you're kind of short rather than once he starts, you don't have that directness and that's what the Panthers miss. When they get that directness, it gives their outside back space and their middle forward space. But when they don't have it, you can see Paris defense, it was easy for them to kind of pick off their runners and some of their attacking players. So, But I thought Para played really well. And I don't, I don't think they, like I said, took too much too, advan- too much advantage of their field position. Um, but defensively, they held out really well. And at the end, really, they could have won that game and stolen a victory anyway. So it's a good hit out 
if I'm para, my takeaway from that game is I know we're in a position where if we can tweak a few things here or there, we can compete with, with Penrith, and they're the second best team in the competition. Para would be confident in their defence playing against Penrith if they meet them in the semi-finals. Para has to sort out their attack, and Mitchell Moses has to get more direct and start running at the line a bit more. Yes and no. I think Mitchell Moses is one part of it. Dylan Brown's the other. I think Dil- so. Mitchell Moses needs to take the line on more, and Dylan Brown needs to take the line on less and and ball play a little bit. Even to mix it up, T, because you look at Melbourne, you got Jerome Hughes. Yes, they're Melbourne, but Jerome Hughes and Munster do both. They they step or run at the line when there's opportunities, or they pass out and they play. They're aggressive in their play. They're attacking all the time, whereas I find Moses and Dylan Brown, Dylan Brown sometimes seems passive or overly aggressive, and Mitchell Moses either goes into a old game manage or he overplays his hand. Mitch Moses is going to make his origin debut. I would have picked Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds because I don't think Jack White has been playing well, and I think Adam Reynolds deserved his shot. I think Mitchell Moses, Adam Reynolds, either or. We spoke about it last week. I would have been. I think it's great that Mitchell Moses is getting his shot, and if I'm a para fan, I hope that gives him that I don't know if it's confidence is the right it could, word. It could be. I agree with you. If they win the game and he has a great game and he lifts the shield, that's only going to boost him. In, this, in the same way, if Gutho gets on the field, I know he's the 19th man or the 18th man, a big win for the Blues and the Paraboys playing well will do wonders for their confidence. In the same way, I think Origin last year made Nathan Cleary grow another league. Yeah, I think so. And sometimes it has the opposite effect, detrimental. Um, that's why... Uh, so I've got a love-hate relationship with Origin at times and its impact on plays. In that's both good ways. because Phil Gould has a hate-hate relationship with you after blocking you on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. Only because I called out his bullshit and I did, it wasn't personal, so I wasn't a troll. You are a troll. No, absolutely not. I um, challenged his excitement about Channel 9 providing NRL in high definition about five years after I could get it on the NBA app on the train on the way home. Well, I mean, the, the rumour is that Channel 10's right in for the rugby league rights at the, from the end of next year, so... I reckon they should. I think Channel 9 has butchered rugby league for a long time. They've taken it for granted. All right. So if we move on to Super Saturday, and um, I just want everyone to settle in for what could be a really long session of Bulldogs Day. The Bulldogs were versus Manly were up. I'm not going to say too much. I will mention some of the records, though, that were broken in this game. Can I say the Bulldogs? Absolutely terrible first half completely outclassed on the left and and the left edge of Flanagan, Manu and Katoa were found wanting. Uh, combined they had 47 appearances, 38 to Flanagan that left edge. I was going to say like having rookies up against oh, Jason yeah. Saar plus on top of that Flanagan's not the greatest defender in the world so that's just I don't know, I don't know what he can do well to be honest with you. Through the middle their line speed was poor. Um, and, and their contact in, in tackles was soft. Tommy Turbo got a first-half hat-trick, and Manly scored 36 points in 35 minutes. It was 36-0 at half-time. The Dogs missed 26 tackles in a half. Um, just, so, just so I put... When I give the missed tackles stat, the tipping point statistically for missed tackles is 24 in a game. So mm-hmm. if you have less than 24 missed tackles in a game, you win most of your games. If you have more, you lose most of your games. So that's the, that's the tipping point statistically. With that context, the Bulldogs missed 26 in a half, eight on the left edge, seven on the right edge, and 11 through the middle. So the ho- it wasn't like it was one edge or the other. It was the whole, the whole defensive line and defensive structure was terrible. Can I, can I just say this about... Um, this is where I agree with you about Trent Barrett. And I was talking to Action, our Bulldogs mate, who was going off. He said the surge is over. It didn't really get off the ground, Action. But um, <laughs> can, I just, can I, I, I don't blame Trent Barrett the way you blame him for attacking footy. 
I don't think he's got the cattle to coach attacking footy. I absolutely think he's a terrible defensive coach. He's had them long enough to fix the defence. He has absolutely had them long enough. Dean Pay was able to fix the defence in one off-season. And, 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 and we're all agreed that Dean Pay probably wasn't the best coach in the world, right? So, so I think defensively, terrible coach. I agree with that 100%. Because it was all over the park. There was no, there was no, it wasn't one edge or the other. It was just Manly went on with it in the second half, running in another five tries, 11 in total, including three tries apiece to the, the Turbo Saab. Oh, the Turbo <laughs> Saab was out, mate. That, yeah. was, that was finely tuned this weekend. Good. And 30 points to Ruben Garrick. It was Manly's biggest ever win. Yeah, um, can you believe that? Biggest ever win. The Bulldogs have now conceded 96 points in a game and a half without scoring. So let me tell you some of the records, and then I am going to hand it over to you for Bulldogs Day. Garrick equaled, Ruben Garrick equaled the Ron Rowles and Matthew Ridge record from 1954 and 1996, respectively, for 30 points in a game for Manly. The biggest winning margin for Manly. The second highest win in the NRL era after the Eels beat the Sharks 17-0 in 2003. The sixth biggest loss in the history of the Dogs. and Oh, no, the sixth biggest loss in history, full stop. Yes, it was the third biggest loss of all time for the for Canterbury. For, for the Dogs and the Dogs' yeah. biggest loss since 1935. With that amazing effort on the weekend, I hand over to you, G, for your take. Settle in, grab some scotch, because it's tight that time of the week. Bulldogs hour. I was very torn because Tommy Turbo was playing and they fight, he fired up the Saab. And I have to say... Watching Jason Saab in full flight is great. It's it's got tall, gangly. It's almost like the NRL version of Usain Bolt. You know, it was six nil with after fifteen minutes, right? So they basically scored thirty points in twenty five minutes, and then went on with it in the second half as well. Um, I think that left hand side defence was it was hard. They were attacked by Manly. Eventually, didn't know whether to come in, stay out, and Manu as a debutant, and he was up against an aggressive. Tommy Turbo and Jason Saab, and they just had no no idea at all. And Katoa even tried right at the end where they kicked to Jason Saab. He played for that and actually went back and still got beaten for speed. So I thought Manly also put their plays in a position to take advantage of the Bulldogs' flaws. Saab was getting the ball at pace, not standing still, and coming from deep, and the Bulldogs just didn't have the speed to deal with him. I mean, he set up three tries with his pace and scored three. But can I, can I just can I just say one other thing? Because I was texting with oh, our mates that are Bulldog supporters during the game, and given we're in lockdown, there wasn't much to do other than watch the footy. Like, I think it was the first 10 minutes, so I might have texted one of them, and I said, this could mm. be this could be embarrassing, because straight from the kickoff, it looked like men against boys. It was You were just outclassed right from the beginning. Like, they could, gee, they had two tries that they bombed. They had... Three tries that were distant, like like it, it it could have been eighty or ninety. It could have been close to eighty. I mean, having said that, Ruben Garrick had a, a brilliant game um, with the boot, kicked eleven from eleven, which is gee. I reckon they left three tries out there, minimum, minimum, and and you're well you're well into the eighties then. And with the dogs, I thought Luke Thompson was ordinary again in the middle. Yeah, he runs hard, and but they leave so many gaps in the middle, and there's la- they have there's lazy defence constantly through the middle. I thought there were a few players that tried hard, but as a team, they reminded me of the Tigers where they kind of tried, but in spurts, and then there were just individuals. I thought Meany tried hard. I thought Matt Dury tried his butt off, but and they, they just went around, and Mandy went around and threw them. I just thought Manly played with depth and pace, and the Bulldogs couldn't go with them. But to lose 66-0, I mean, look, you say they don't have the cattle, but let's be honest, right? 
Dylan Napa, State of Origin. Not yeah. that whether I agree with him whether he should be there or not. But he hasn't he hasn't played like a State of Origin player in a long But Luke time. Thompson, English prop, so he's one of the gun props apparently. This is where I I don't think you do have the talent. I don't think any of those players right. are good. Josh Jackson, apparently State of Origin. And Josh Jackson um, we said two years ago was off over the cliff now. Yep. The, the issue is Defensively, I agree with you. He's done a terrible job. He's done a terrible job because he's had them. 16 weeks is long enough to fix a defence and a pre-season. It's getting worse. This is the problem, right? They're getting, they were getting beaten by 40 earlier in the year with teams not really playing that well. People on the left and right edges, and through, they didn't know where to stand. That's how, that's how out of sorts the defensive line is. It's, 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 that's coach, that bit's coaching. They're the right size. They're the right speed. They're the right. They've got a track record. They know they can do a game plan. They just they don't know where to stand or, or what to do. That's coaching. So I don't blame them for the attack because I don't think they've got the cattle. But the defensive stuff, I absolutely blame them. Blame Trent Barrett for. I'm not expecting them to produce razzle dazzle football. But you know, a few passes and offloads with some backing up would be handy. 66 nil. I mean, this is the third biggest loss ever. In fact, realistically, it's the Bulldogs' biggest ever loss. 1935 was the first year they were in the competition and they were playing against, you know, teams that had been there for 20 years. You're going to get towed up, kind of an expansion type of club, right? Since 1935, this is the biggest loss ever, ever. How many years is this rebuild, G? Can I ask you that? What do you think? How many years? I'm looking at players he's recruited, right? He's recruited Corey Waddell. He drops him in and out of the team. He's recruited Jack Hetherington. He's, he's constantly first name on the team sheet. Sione Katoa's defense has been absolutely woeful all year. First name on the team sheet, it seems like. Dylan Napa plays two, three good games and has 10 ordinary ones. Again, he's always in the team. Kyle Flanagan, he's destroyed the kid's confidence. Whether you think he's any good or not, he had no patience with him whatsoever and dropped him. Jake Avarillo looks like a shadow of the player that we saw two, one or two years ago in terms of any future potential. Corey Allen, again, hand-picked by him, woefully not up to it. I mean, and Nick Meany, the one player who looks like he's got any talent, is taking off and going to Melbourne. You know, I, I would take off. Look, How many years a... into this rebuild are you? Three years? When did Desi leave? 2017. Okay, so last 18, year. 19. So we're into year four. We're into year four. So was Dean Pay coach for two and a half years? Well, yeah. It's three and a half years now. So call this year over. So four years into a rebuild, and you're in... Can I be frank? I think you're in a worse position than when you started the rebuild. Absolutely. The recruitment has been absolutely woeful. So it'll take, it, minimum, it's going to take another four years. I, I agree. And look, the board's just taken over this year, so they need some time. But the previous decision makers, their recruitment and retention or whatever they were doing has been woeful. And like I said, there was, and look, this might sound like I love Nick Meany, but Nick Meany was market, trying to defend three players at the same time. When he tackled... um. Tom Trebojevic, when he passed off Jason Saab, he made one tackle, chased down Saab, then turned around and chased down... Like, where, where is everybody else? Well, this is shaping up to be a long podcast. You, you came in off the back fence, G, with a big run-up, and you broke through the line. Well I'm, done. I'm ticked off because, to me, there's no sign of improvement. This is the problem. To me, it's not about whether the coach is going to make the eight or any of this kind of stuff. You need the expectation this year to improve a little bit on last year, see some players develop and get a little bit better, you know, but... I would say we've gone backwards, and that's a problem. Yeah. Like, if you've got a coach that's hand-picked three or four players and all the players have gone backwards, are we sure it's the players? I, I, I'm now coming to a point where I think it's both. I think it's Trent Barrett on the defensive side, and I think it's the players in attack. I'm not sure your front office is any good either. 
You almost need that review Parra did a few years ago. Remember when they when they did the review and they reset everything? They're, they're new, so I think they're actually going about that now. They've only been in charge for not really that long, only a few months, really. Right. So it remains to be seen. They've got the right idea. Let's wait and see. I th- Look, at least with Steve Georgialis, the team started showing a little bit of panache in attack. He freed them up a little bit. Yes, the season was over, but... The team looked a bit better. If I compare Steve Georgialis with pretty much the same cattle, mate, we're not better off. You just can't get it together. You can't get it together on both sides of the football. Anyway, 66 nil, and yeah, I don't know. The Turbo Saab just did laps by itself. No one was competing. Is, there's a rumour that you've become a Manly supporter. I could never do that, but... You're a Fairweather supporter. Yes, you could. No. You bet against your team. Every, you don't tip them any week. You bet against them every third week. Would you? Your favourite players play for Manly. You're... Like, do I need to go on? Like, <laughs> I'm one of the new new age supporters where I follow players, not teams. So, really, I'm a Tommy Turbo fan. Yeah, yeah, correct. You're not following Dylan Napa, I know that. So, no, if you I'm move not. on to the middle game of Super Saturday, so the middle game on Super Saturday was the Raiders versus the Titans. Oh, I didn't know what was going to happen in this game, but but like clockwork, the Raiders didn't rinse and repeat every game of the Raiders. The Titans won forty four to six. The game went backwards and forwards, and the Titans eventually scored first off the back of a monster start by Dave Fafita. He was fantastic. Then he got sin-binned at the 30-minute mark, and the Raiders capitulated from there. And, yeah, and, and, and you, know, you know, it's every game, and you know what that means, right, for Canberra? The Titans ran in three tries in the 10 minutes before halftime with only 12 men. Extraordinary. Titans led 22-0 at halftime. They were up 24-8 to at halftime against Manly, so I wasn't quite counting my chickens yet you don't know what can happen with this titans team but the but the titans started the second half like they ended the first half scoring two tries to extend the lead to 34 nil given the titans record even this margin with 25 minutes to go was far from a certainty of victory even then i was like oh my god they could come back unbelievably yes that's not certain victory that's right in the end the titans scored eight tries all up and it was their equal biggest points Hall in their history. Jamal Fogarty on the right edge and David Fitter on the left edge was superb. For the Raiders, um, Josh Papali was great at the beginning of the game, um, but, but but the Raiders weren't at the races. Jack Whiten's got named as the New South Wales 5'8", and he was poor. He gave away two penalties and had five missed tackles. Real problems in Canberra. I, I think they're going to miss out on the eight, and the Titans were good. But I don't know that you take a lot moving forward for either of these teams. It makes me wonder... In terms of, again, the Bulldogs' result 66-0 and now the Raiders really capitulating to the Titans, you wonder whether there's dressing room issues. I don't know. It's pure oh, speculation. It looks like it doesn't. But... And, and, and Super Saturday was like 196 points to six or something. Yeah, like, you know you know what I mean, T? Like, some of the effort... I'm not saying they're not trying. 148 to six. That yeah. desperation isn't quite there anymore. It's only there from a few players. And I slammed Madge Maguire and the Tigers the other week. How is it any different to what the Tigers and the Raiders or what the Bulldogs and the Raiders dished out on Saturday? Um, for this game, I thought you know Jared Croker coming back would have been interesting. Made a big difference, didn't it? Huge difference, yeah. It was... Made their defence a lot better, didn't he? Yeah. Twenty minutes down, then Fafita did one of his barge over specials that makes everyone forget that he leaves raging holes in the defence all the time. <laughs> Once the Titans got ahead, they up their tempo, and I thought Fogarty and some of their backs, Brimson started to get a lot more involved and be, and played at a different speed, and the Raiders couldn't really match them. And even when Fafita went off, that tempo kept on going, and they scored three tries with Fafita in the Simbin. And 
you know, by then it's like 24, 26-0 and game over. I thought Kelly got involved a lot more in the middle of the field, which was great. I thought Fogarty was running the ball a little bit more, which was which was also excellent. It makes their attack better when he takes the line on. It doesn't make them as predictable. Because him and Ash Taylor aren't... Ash Taylor would have been that player, and he's, like we've said, not in the greatest shape in the world, so he's lost a little bit of his pace. And I thought they targeted Corey Harawira Naira and Sam Williams on the, the Raiders' right, sort of middle fringe, and they really came at them with numbers in the forwards and with some of their backs involved, and I thought they just couldn't cope. And then the Raiders' desperation dropped off after you know that 30-minute period. They started to fall off tackles, leave holes, and the Titans took advantage, and they played with an energy that they don't always have for 80 minutes. And they won 44-6. And I think a big bonus for the Titans was the return of Corey Thompson. I know he's a winger, but he adds a smartness in attack and defense for them that they don't always have. So good win. They needed that win. But, I mean, you know, that's that's about it from this game, I think. The Titans keep on beating the teams they, they can. And it keeps them around the fringe of the eight. And I think they'll probably sneak in almost by default. Well, we'll see how it goes. They're still... I mean, Origin throws things around as well. Yeah, so, I um, know. I mean, you know, it's a weird comp around the back of the, the eight. So, all right, we move on to the last game in Super Saturday. It wasn't much better. The Knights got over the Cowboys 38-0. Kalen Ponga was back for the Knights and made a difference with two first-half tries. And Jake, Jake Clifford actually had a barnstorming first half against his old team. Mm, yeah. Um, as the Knights jumped out to a 22-0 lead. For the Cowboys, the hammer looked dangerous every time he touched the ball. Every time he touched it and had a try of the year contender ruled out by the bunker. Oh, they should have just given it. I would have given that just... I would have given that He try. went out of the field, back in. Oh, I would have just given it. Um, awesome try. So, yeah, it was an awesome... Well, awesome no try. So it was 22-0 at halftime. The Knights went on with it in the second half. And Ponga did have uh, look, look to have a neck injury as a result of a crusher from Val Holmes. So Val Holmes might be in a bit of trouble there. Connor Watson, for me, was the best player on the ground, closely followed by Ponga and Dom Young. I thought they, they all had a great game. Um, Cowboys were terrible. We knew they were going to be terrible. Todd Payton was in isolation. A couple of the players were. Yeah. So after Origin, they were travelling. I mean, and the Knights had Caelan Ponga back. And we said this in our preview. You know, we thought the Knights would get him easy, and they did. This game, I think, was just the return of Ponga. You could see what he adds to the team. He, he gives them that playmaker that has vision and speed and skill. And a couple of times they made a break. He was there to back up and then create that extra momentum for them whenever they they pierce the line. I th- look, I think we've talked about the Knights a lot. I think they've had so many injuries and they've miss- been missing their best players for a long time, their playmakers, Pierce and Ponga. But they've hung in games. So they haven't quite had anything in attack to really take advantage of anything. So eventually they fall away. And I think now you could see with Ponga and Pierce back and now Connor Watson becomes an addendum to their playmaker. Correct, correct. He's not the only one, right? I think he's a great player, Connor Watson. I say this week in, week out. He adds the icing a little bit more, right? So I thought... Was he a Roosters junior? He was. um, Yeah. Roosters. And the Roosters just had too many good juniors. So they, you know, he was always on the fringes. So he left, obviously, to get a better opportunity. But, and I think the way that Ponga and some teamed up with Dom Young a couple of times, you know, with that back line, the Knights... I think if they don't have many more injuries, they will definitely get into the eight. They've got strike. They've got strike now that everyone's back and settled. And like you say, Clifford is playing well and they've got Pierce, they've got Ponga, they've got Connor Watson, they've got Tuala now and Dom Young. So they've got a bit of strike across the park. And forward-wise, they're pretty solid. They hang in, but now they've got the 
the back line to take advantage of. Well, they're in ninth position. They're only out of the eight on, on goal different, or points different, differential. They've really. got the back line to take advantage of it. So I think if they keep that back line, they will make the eight for sure because you could see the difference now with Pierce and Ponga. Do the Dragons drop out? They're a funny team, the Dragons. I'd say yes, but they seem to be able to sneak wins when they're playing terribly at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way they should have won that Warriors game. They've won a few games where you think they weren't even in the game. Well, against the Raiders, remember? Yeah. You know, they somehow seem to just keep their nose in front. I think the, the Knights, I think the Knights will get them. I think yeah, they'll okay. get in, sneak into the eight. All right, well, let's move on to the Sunday games. Um, first up was the Broncos versus the Sharks played at 2 o'clock in a Sunshine Field, Suncorp Stadium. It was, and... The fact that this was a day game in dry conditions, I think actually told. I thought this was a good game of footy. And 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 I did have a feeling, and I mentioned it last week on the pod, that the Broncos would be up for this, even more so when Matt Moylan was ruled out on game day. Um, they weathered a Sharks onslaught in the first 20 minutes to take a 12-6 lead before before halftime. Mulatalo's pass was amazing. Amazing oh, to yeah. kind of trace him. Pass. To send him, yeah. That try actually evened up the scores of 12 all at halftime. So, um, Steve, Steve Roach called it. It was a basketball pass. It was a basketball pass. It was fantastic. It was almost falling behind the back type thing. Yep. Um, the team swapped tries before the turning point in the game, which was when Tyson Gamble ran down Jesse Ramian. Yeah. He absolutely ran him down from 80 metres, and Tessie knew went the length of the field from the ensuing scrum. Eventually, the Broncos eventually ran out winners 26-18. For the Broncos, Payne House was outstanding, 219 metres, and set up a try. And, and he ran 80 metres to knock yeah. the Sharks' kick dead. Just what an effort play, right? What an effort yeah. play. Katoni Staggs was also good with 107 metres, two yeah. line breaks and four yes. tackle busts, plus one try assist in 60 minutes. Um, I thought Sean Johnson had a good game for the Sharks as well, but um, good win for the Broncos, and I, and I think that pretty much shores them up now. They won't get the wooden spoon. No, they won't. The dogs will get that. I thought it was a pretty open game of football, like you say, because of the drier conditions. It made me realise we need to play more day games. But it gives the players dry ground to play dry on, ground. Right? The sun's shining. It, it, as a spectacle, it'll even, it even looks better. I thought the Sharks really were sloppy with some of their execution at the start of the game. I thought the Broncos were lucky that the Sharks, I guess, blew some I of their the opportunities. I thought the Broncos' effort in defence was a lot better than we've seen. No, the effort was really good. I've hammered them about their defence, but I thought their effort in defence was really, really good. The effort was really good. Definitely can't fault that. I just thought there were a couple of opportunities the Sharks could have taken advantage of and been up 16 to 18 nil after 20 minutes or so. And I think that would have... It would have basically deflated the Broncos. But they hung in. And once they got the score, they scored and they got the score level, um, I think then they... You know, their belief came back. And all of a sudden, you had Haas. They were passing. You had... All the players were getting involved in the game. Tessie New, Sarko, Katoni Staggs. And the Sharks were coming coming for them. And when Connor Tracy scored in the corner, they carved them apart. And then all of a sudden, Tyson Gamble strips the ball. I don't know. They bombed that try, by the way. He went the wrong way. He did go the wrong way. And then Tessie New makes that break and scores. And the whole momentum of the game changes in the Broncos. I think from there, the Broncos believed they could win. And the Sharks kind of... Their energy level dropped a little bit, and they they really. They've had a tumultuous season as well, the Sharks, right? But the you know, it, with the whole it has been. John Morris and. By the way, what was with the refs and the forward passes at the start of that game? There was about seven of them that they missed. What about the one on 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 video? Ref called it. I was going to bring that up. That was bullshit. I'm yeah, sorry, that, that, but yeah, yeah, I agree. They missed that forward pass, and then they made up a rule to deny that try. Because it was so blatantly forward. Yeah, correct. That he said he fumbled the ball. 
oh, hang on a sec, that happens every week. And yeah, you know, and deny that's not any a knock-on. Try, like, that's not, not a, a knock-on. Knock it's not a knock-on. I, I didn't read too much about the bunker making up a rule to deny a try. I mean, they got the decision right. They got the decision right. Absolutely. But it's not but a rule. It's not a rule. Yeah, you can't invent a rule to, to deny a try because you missed a 70... By the way, how did they miss that? That pass was about five metres forward. Even if the ref misses it, we're down to one ref again. So, you know, you can't have eyes everywhere. That I get. What's the touch judge doing? I don't know. That was a terrible play, but I wasn't happy with the way they denied that try. I thought it was a blatant bending of the rules, but it makes you wonder what else they bend, right? Um... <laughs> Yeah. What, what, conspiracy what G they, has made an appearance. Please, what else they interpret? It's taken us 16 weeks, but Conspiracy G is yes, back. Yes, it definitely has. And I think for the Broncos try, where they, they evened up the game to Tessie New, the first one, there was a forward pass from Dummy Half, which was like blatantly forward. Then the flick pass to Katoni Staggs was blatantly well, forward. I reckon they well. missed a lot of forward passes from Dummy Half. I think there's a lot in the comp. There's a lot at the moment. I've noticed there's a lot of them, and they're becoming a bit lazy at picking those up. Yeah. And I think Connor Tracy had a really good game again. Defensively, he's a bit all over the place, but that's because he shifts from wing to centre. He doesn't have a settled position, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he's worth trying on a settled position. Yeah, and I thought Will Kennedy, when again, once he was involved in the game, had an impact, but didn't quite involve himself enough at times. I thought um, Sean Johnson had a really good game, but you can kind of see he's lost that ability once he steps and changes directions he's to slower. accelerate through he's the hole. Slower, yes. Yeah, he can't accelerate through the hole. He's still got that footwork, but when the hole opens up, he can't go through it anymore. Nah, which is nah. um, So he's still got the skill, but just not the explosiveness again. And I thought the Sharks tried hard, but I thought some of their forwards were a bit sloppy in defence at times. And um, I think it was a good win to the Broncos. Payne Haas was immense. He may be the number one Front rower in the corner. I think he's taken his game to another level this year. I really do. I thought both teams, yeah, played a good brand of football. And some of the interchange played between Sean Johnson and Will Kennedy at the end when the Sharks were trying to score a try. That was magic footy. Yeah, good footy. Just inside, outside, backing up, chips. Like I, I really I, enjoyed this game. I thought it was a great game. It was good. Um, but, the you know, a, a lost game for the Sharks and a really good win to the Broncos. And with 1-1 one, one disclaimer, Aidan Tolman scored a try. He did. He did. What about Sean Johnson staying out of the way so Aiden Tolman could get it? Because he knew he was but offside. About, that was clever. What about Aiden Tolman's step? He stepped the. I can't believe it. <laughs> so where where has this same, been? Where has this been for the last? Mate, he does the same step every every game for like ten years, and somehow he busted through the line this time. <laughs> it was great. The last game of the round was the Tigers versus Souths. Um, basically, oh, from kickoff, gosh. Souths blew the Tigers Seriously? away. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Led twenty six nil at halftime. Should have been 36 after Adam Reynolds ran the ball to the dead ball line, a la Dale Shearer. Except yeah. unlike Dale Shearer, he put a foot into touch as he grounded the ball. The Tigers' left edge was poor, um, and that included Adam Dwayne. He didn't have a great game in defence. No, he defensively was poor. Adam Very Dwayne poor. This week. Yes. Um, the Tigers won the second half 22-12 after the game was over. And Adam Dwayne picked up a double. So he was actually really good in attack, but I thought he was terrible in defence. But Souths had put the cue in the rack by that point. It was, the game was over at halftime. Jacob Little, there's the cat. Hello. Jacob Little also tried hard. Um, and, and the other person who was really poor in defence was Luke Brooks. Uh, yeah. For, for, for the Bunnies, I thought Cam Murray again was good. And Campbell Graham and Alex Johnson were good as well. So you've seen one Tigers game, you've seen it all. They start playing after they're getting hammered. Yeah, that's basically what happened, right? Like, I watched the first half of this game and then caught up on the second half a bit later. But, I mean, it was one-way traffic. This is exactly one of those games that I was talking about where Souths, they were just attacked 
And it was almost like they were trying out their combinations and Cody Walker was popping up on both sides of the field, not just on the left-hand side. And they just tore the Tigers apart. Whenever they felt like sort of putting together a few moves, they just went around them and through them. And, you know, it was 26-0 at half time, but really it could have been 30, 36, 38-0. It should have been 36, yeah. I mean, Adam Reynolds absolutely should have scored that try. I think the Tigers' effort at times is there as a team, but for the most part, you're getting a mix of some players really putting in and other players sort of giving up. I thought Dane Laurie tried hard all game, but it's like they've got two or three players trying T, and then the rest of the team isn't. Then there's six players having a dig, and five are kind of switched off. Some of the defense was woeful. Like stepping four or five guys, people grabbing. The Souths can't win the comp because they're too inconsistent. They're, 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 you can get their best and their worst in a game and they play down to opponents. And, and, and So it's going to be tough for them when they come up against Pan- the Panthers and Melbourne and those teams. The Tigers the Tigers are like the Bulldogs, the Broncos. They're just in a world of pain. Oh, look, I think, yeah, that's the thing with Souths I worry about is that they are unbelievably skilled and a great team. And Cody Walker is just a magician. But... They have a habit of playing at 80% of intensity and they can beat these teams really easy. And it's hard to lift that to 100 when you're playing all of a sudden a Melbourne or a Penrith. And I think, like you say, that's where they might struggle because some of these games, I've watched them, the way they attack and their skill, they're so good. They beat these teams too easily, but they switch off. And I thought in the second half, their intensity dropped totally. The Tigers came back a little bit and started playing a bit of football. But I thought South's intensity disappeared altogether and some of the tackles where the Tigers scored were terrible. But as soon as the Tigers scored a try or two, South just upped the tempo a little bit and you know you get those tries like Cam Murray's try where he just gets the ball in the middle of the field and steps three guys with you know and scores untouched under the post. Like, I mean, Tigers terrible, South way too good, but only playing sort of good enough. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, it's a split round because of Origin this week, so um, we'll move on to the Round 17 preview. There's only four games. There's one on each day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first three are at 7 p.m. And then the 4 p.m. kickoff for Channel 9 on the Sunday. First up on the Thursday night is the Manly versus the Raiders. This is a brookie. It's $1.28 favourites, Manly. $3.75 Raiders. Raiders have a 10.5-point start. No Tommy Turbo for Manly and no DCE for Manly. No Jack Whiten for the Raiders, so that'll improve them. Well, not necessarily. Matt Frawley is a good squad backup to have, but I don't think he's going to improve them, but... No, I don't know. You know, this is a game I actually am struggling to pick because... I am struggling with this as well because of the outs. Yeah, I think it hampers them quite significantly. Like, Dylan Walker can ball play, but I don't know if he's a halfback. Ruben Garrick did a great job last time filling in for Tommy Turbo at fullback. I tell you who the Raiders are going to miss, Josh Papali. Yeah, um, Dunamis Louis um, before he signs up with the Dragons and their recreation of the Broncos... Under twenty team from two thousand and ten to twelve with um Anthony Griffin, he's not a bad feeling. The the Raiders look better on paper because I think missing Tom Trebojevic and DCE might hamper Manly quite significantly. But I don't have any faith in tipping the Raiders. This is where I kind of want to tip them, but after what I've seen, I think I'm just going to tip Manly because I don't trust the Raiders to to perform. I think it'll be close though because I think Manly will significantly miss. DCE more than Tommy T this game. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. If you move on to the Friday night game, it's Souths versus the Cowboys. Oh, sorry, I forgot to give my tip. Um, I think Manly will get them. Yeah, I agree. I think Ruben Garrick would be he's gonna have a good game, big game. Well, and I think I think Kieran Foran and Dylan Walker, you know, if you look at the halves pairings, I think that they're just miles ahead yeah. of where the Raiders are at. 
Um, and Ruben Garrick back at fullback, I think, will be better than Xavier yeah. Savage. Great name, but but young. So my sense is that the Raiders will stay with them for 30 minutes and Manly will get over the yep. top of them over the last So week. the Raiders 2021. And look, the Raiders just haven't really put together an 80-minute performance almost all year. So, yep, Manly. No, that's right. So Friday night, it's Souths versus the Cowboys. Uh, I believe this is at ANZ now. Um, $1.18 Souths, $5.50 Cowboys. The Cowboys have 15.5-point start. Um I can't see anything other than a Souths win. Yeah, I'm tipping Souths. I think they'll miss Latrell significantly, but we've got a youngster from La per- the La Perouse Panthers, Blake Tuffy. Is that how you say his name? Um, at fullback. Yep. So it'll be good to see what he's got as a young youngster playing fullback. He's, he's meant to be the long-term half. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep. So it'll be good to see him at yeah, fullback. Yeah, he's right? the long-term half. So yeah. he's from. Um, close to our old stomping grounds out at La Perouse. So well, I grew up in Little Bay, so it's very close to me. South. It'll be interesting to see Benji Marshall at hooker, but I think South. I can't see the Cowboys winning this game. Well, they're just, they're just too classy. I just look through the team list and I just can't see. I mean, they're big outs. They're big outs for the for the Rabbitohs. Cam Murray, Damian Cook, Dane Gagai, Jay Arrow, and Latrell Mitchell. But they still got Cody Walker and Adam. Reynolds I think there. Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds is what's tipping it for me. So I'm tipping Souths. But it'll be a, an interesting game because on paper this is one of those teams where the Cowboys are like, hey, they should be better than they are, but. They're not. Campbell, Graham, AJ. Well, you know, I don't know. I just think I just think they got they got enough strike there that they'll they'll get it done. All right. If you move on to the Saturday game, it's the Dogs versus the Roosters. This <laughs> is also at ANZ Stadium. Does it really matter where this is, really? This may as well be in Belmore Car Park and it wouldn't matter. Oh, it's a Bank West actually. It's not at ANZ, it's Bank West. And the Bulldogs have nineteen and a half point start and it won't be enough. I think one thing I didn't mention earlier was for the Roosters last week is they had a poor game, but the Roosters were pretty much full strength, which was interesting. Please tell me you're tipping the dogs. Are you kidding me? They just lost. We just had the biggest loss we've ever had. I can't see anything but a Roosters win. I'm expecting Joey Manu to have a big game at fullback and get himself involved quite significantly. I think it's good to see Drew Hutchison back um, at 5'8". And yeah, after his injury. And Lachlan Lamb probably will be better suited to a change of tempo on the bench. He's kind of lost a bit of confidence and form. And oh, mate, he's been terrible. So this, it was a, mate, he needed to make that. But change. Angry Victor is back. Yeah, Victor the <laughs> yeah, Infector. Yeah, he is. Tipanua, Isaac Liu always steps up and plays great. Takiyaho, Waria Hargraves, Verils. I mean... I, I can't see anything other than a Roosters win. And I think the Roosters are going to be fired up after getting flogged by Melbourne. So I'm expecting a, an intense 80 minutes from them in both attack and defence. So Oh, that bodes well for the Dogs then. That should make, make it a really tight game. It's the Roosters by 26. So they'll cover the spread for sure. I think the Roosters will do them. I, I think the Roosters will do them by 40. I think it'll be 40 points. I did read an article about um, the five players at the Bulldogs you know, had going to isolation, have to front the board, right? But what I found yeah. incredibly amusing was the comment I read in the article, which was all of the players bar Wakem have been selected. Otherwise, the Bulldogs would struggle to field a competitive team. Now, <laughs> I don't know if this person... <laughs> at full strength, at full strength, it's not a competitive team. I don't know if this person's watched the last 16 games, but I think that kind of doesn't matter whether those five are in or out. So... That made me chuckle a little bit, or chortle, to use an old English term. But, um, uh, I mean, and here's the other thing. They're all back, right? Sione Katoa, they're back. So, I don't know, Reese's by 26. So, bit, bit of humour. I thought that was funny. 
That, that is funny. All right, so we move on to the last game of the round, and that's the Sharks versus the Warriors. The Sharks are $1.37 favourites. The Warriors are $3.10 outsiders. The Warriors have eight and a half points start. I found this one harder to pick. I don't know who will win this game. Reese Walsh is back, and I think he makes a big difference to their attack. He does because he gives them another bit of um, an attacking outlet from the back, and then you've still got RTS that also gets involved from the wing. And Watenis and Chad Townsend's out, which which even if they had a cardboard cutout out there would improve. Well, the Sean O'Sullivan, team. poor guy, has got some skill, but he he's you know you, you read about his injuries coming through the grades, and it's yeah. really hampered him. You could see it. He's kind of athletically, you know, almost not quite a first grader. And it might be only because it's his kind of real first extended run, but you can see his skill level, but he's just really slow and doesn't... He's almost like short Tyrone May, right? But I think Cody Nikarima will again give them another player that probes the line a little bit. I'm tipping the Sharks because I don't, again, have faith. I think Reese Walsh makes a massive difference, but is Nathan Brown going to let these guys play football from the beginning or is he going to wait until they're... 20 points behind before they well, start let me tell you something. Them. They can't hold on. They can't hold on to a lead. No. So they'd want to be up by more than um, a couple of tries with 10 minutes to go. And I like the move of Connor Tracy back to 5'8 this week. Sione Katoa's got another week in for the Sharks on the wing, coming back coming back on the wing. And well, I, I, I'm leaning towards the Sharks as well, but I think this will be closer than people I think. I think it'll be a close game. I'm tipping the Sharks solely because of the experience, and I think I don't quite trust that Brown will, will let the Warriors use their... The advantage in the skill department, I would say. Okay. All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of another GNT show where once again we've discussed the happenings and goings-on in the world of rugby league, including birthday parties, people hiding under desks, people hiding in built-in cupboards. We've discussed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Kenny Edwards. <laughs> Kenny Edwards. We've discussed the the tight football that we've been seeing, record-breaking performances by the Sea Eagles. And through that entire journey, I've been joined by my co-host with the most, a man whose coffee table book about car parks in, in Australia is coming along nicely and hopes to have out to publishers shortly, G. G, thank you. Thank you. And reading the uh, um, comments by one of the ministers this week, I think um, if I get funding for my car park book, the good thing is it doesn't really matter whether I produce the book or not. <laughs> it's irrelevant. It's great. Money for jam. This ad this was is awesome. This ad was presented and paid before by the Australian G Party. The Australian G Party, yes. So, look, a fascinating week. I I hesitate to say that nothing could probably top the craziness of the dragon. No, saga, don't say it. Don't say it. It always, it always, something always pops up next week. And talking about state of origin. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, go well, everyone, and thanks for joining us. See you. See you next week. <laughs>